Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Seth, and um, one year ago this Sunday, my wife Kelsey and I uh, stood right up here for the very first time as the conclusion of our interview process uh, before you, this congregation, uh, to uh, become your worship pastor. And it's been my blessing to serve in that capacity for the duration of this past year, to be able to, thank you. To be able to stand in front of you each Sunday and to lead you in song and worship and to occasionally uh, stand here and, and open the Word of God with you. It's been a, a sheer joy and blessing. I can't believe a year has passed already. And I look forward to um, celebrating with you all as we celebrate 90 years together um, next Sunday here. Well, today we are continuing this series, All in the Family. And we're going to turn to um, a familiar, hopefully familiar story of a sibling rivalry. Because if we're called into the family of God, we're, we're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so inevitably rivalries are going to happen. So as I've dug through this uh, passage this week, I've, I feel like I've just come up with, with so much information and so much uh, to, to share with you all. And I, I told Lynn earlier this week, uh, I, I ended up with, with more pages than I usually have when I'm preparing to preach. And I thought, I can't have this many pages preparing to preach. So no need to be alarmed. I, I made this font size smaller, so my pages are what they usually are. Because there's just so much to be taken from this story. There's so much to be received as we consider this, this rivalry that, that, that happens in this passage of Cain and Abel. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Hear these words. The man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's, offer, land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
See now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word, would you speak to us? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight here today. God, may you transform us, renew us, and speak and move in and through us here this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You see, the rivalry, this, this, this is the story. Uh, it, it paints a picture for us about the manner in which we are intended to conduct our relationships with God the Father and with our siblings in this family of God that we are called to. It shows us what happens when we turn against one another. It shows us what happens when we create rivalry amongst ourselves, when we, when we look at others and we look at what God is doing in others' lives and, and we, we pit ourselves against them, when we fail to heed God's instruction. And so I feel that, that, that there's a few things that pop out of this text as we look at this idea of rivalry within the family of God. This text teaches us a few things that that God would intend, that God our Father would intend to teach us as his children and as one another's siblings. First and foremost, God desires the very best we have to offer. God desires the best we have to offer. Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. And as we just heard, each brought an offering to God. Abel's offering was accepted with favor, but Cain's was not. And I want us to make sure we don't get uh, stuck in the weeds here of this, what's happening here. We're not giving a whole lot of information as to why Abel's was accepted and Cain's was not, other than we can make this assumption based on details in chapter, or verse 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock. So it would seem that, that Abel's offering was a little more significant than Cain's offering. Cain presented some. Abel presented the first, the, the, the best. If you've ever grown a garden, Kelsey and I um, tried to grow a garden this year, and we actually did have stuff grow, uh, but we, we, we went all in. We were invested in this, um, in this pursuit of growing a garden. We built four raised garden beds. We had it filled with dirt. We bought lots of different uh, compost stuff to put in it. I mean, we, we probably had a, a few hundred dollars invested into this project, because we couldn't just, uh, you know, till up the ground and plant seeds in there. We had to go all the way with this project of growing a, a garden. And so as we're, we're almost to the point of planting seeds, which I think at this point it's like mid-July, because uh, we were just really not on it. We're, we're almost planting seeds, and Kelsey tells someone, I'll be happy if we just get one tomato. And I'm like, hold on, I've spent way too much money for us to get one tomato. We could have gone to the store and purchased that. But we actually did uh, yield a significant crop, and we, we were able to, to um, get some of it 
It was late in the season again, so it didn't really work out to the best. But, but I realized for many of us, when we grow a garden, we're typically growing a garden to have the crop for ourselves. It's not until we have extra, it's not until we have spare in our, in our harvest that we then go and we share it with others. We do these things in life like growing a garden or, or, or accumulating wealth so that we can have things for ourselves. And maybe if they're spare, we'll, we'll, we'll give it. We'll give, a, we'll give the leftovers. And so here we see Abel giving his first and very best before he even eats of, of the, the animals that he has raised, before he does anything else with them. He offers it to the Lord. It'd be as if Kelsey and I, before we, we uh, took, took any of the produce for ourselves, we just give it away first. And if there's leftovers, then we would have it. But we see Cain gave some of his crop. Not the first, not the best, but some of it. Almost as if to say, I've accumulated what I need, so here you go, Lord, you can have this. And Abel presents his first and very best. And we realize that God desires our first and best fruit. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your first produce. And it's then that you'll see the abundance. We could rightly assume that Abel's offering was accepted because he gave the best of what he had. And we could possibly assume that Cain just simply gave out of obligation. Cain just simply gave, maybe he saw Abel was collecting some stuff and so he gave too. Or, or maybe he just knew this is what was going to be required of me and so I better accumulate some things. Here are a, a, a couple of things I'm not going to be using and so I'll just give this to the Lord. We can assume this because we know that God looks at the attitude, the intent of our heart. He looks at the attitude and the intent of everything that we do, and that he sees the things that we do not. 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, he's speaking of David here, do not look at his appearance or his statue because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. Hear this, for humans see what is visible. But the Lord sees the heart. And so here we have uh, the, the, the first really worship service we find in Scripture. Cain and Abel bringing an offering to the Lord. And we know that the Lord doesn't see what humans see. He sees the intent of the heart. And so he sees Abel's heart's intent and knows that his offering is, is, is worthy to be favored. And he sees Cain's, the, the intent of Cain's heart, and he knows that his offering is not worthy of his favor. And rightfully so. I'm going to empathize with Cain here for a minute. Cain is angry. And as I kept reading the story, I thought, didn't Cain deserve an explanation because we don't see that Cain chose to do this and, and Cain said to himself, I'm just going to give a little bit. The Lord's not going to like it, but I'm going to try anyway. We, we, don't, we don't see any of that. Didn't Cain deserve an explanation? You should have brought me your first and your best crop. Your, your heart is not positioned right in your offering to me. I feel that Cain deserves such an explanation. 
But what we see, God's response to Cain's fury, what we see, God's response to Cain's disappointment, is not an answer, but direction. Which leads us to the second point, God provides us with direction. Even if he didn't give a direct answer, he gave direction to Cain. He might not have addressed the exact thing that Cain was upset about, but God gives direction. He provides a warning about Cain's attitude because God knew that this was just uh, one piece of many times that Cain is going to experience difficulty on this earth. You see, we see here in Cain and Abel, the first two people who are experiencing the effects of the fall. Their parents, Adam and Eve, were, were the ones that, that, that were, were able to walk with the Lord in, in, in paradise with no separation, no sin. And, and Cain and Abel are born into this broken, fallen, sinful world. And so God saw fit in his, in his sovereignty and his all-knowingness saw fit to, to give Cain this direction rather than addressing his current frustration. Cain and Abel never had the undivided relationship with their creator. They never got to walk in the, the cool of the, the night breeze as Adam and Eve did. God knew this moment of disappointment for Cain was only one of many moments that Cain and every person after him would have to experience because of their separation from him, their creator. And so God provides Cain with a warning, with, with, with a, a direction about his attitude. He encourages him to use self-control. God warns Cain that sin is embedded within his human heart and he provides him with instruction of how to avoid overcoming it. Verse six, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why are you despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Certainly God could have told Cain why his offering wasn't good enough. But instead, God directs Cain from the immediate issue of his offering and guides him toward the greater solution for his greater sinful condition. And I wonder, what are you to do when God says no or when God doesn't provide you with an answer to the most difficult circumstance in your life? What are you to do when these things happen in our lives? Because we've all been to a point and a place in our lives where we're desperately seeking an answer from the Lord. We feel that we are giving our all to him, but instead we find him to be silent towards us. What are we to do? Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my way higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God gives, a, gives us direction through his word, through the revelation of his word. He gives us direction because we don't know where we're going. He's seen the end. 
He knows the end for each of us. He knows the solution, the, the, the circumstances for each of us. And we only see our current circumstances. And just as Cain was, we become furious. We become frustrated. We become upset. And God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. They're higher than this earth. And sometimes the circumstances we find ourselves in just don't seem fair. And in the midst of our current circumstances, we hear the same warning that God gave to Cain. The enemy is lurking around us, seeking a foot in. 1 Peter 5, 6-9, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the earth. And so he gives us this direction because God knows the greater circumstance for us. He knows that beyond these current frustrations that we experience, he knows that the enemy is lurking among us. And so he gives us the direction because he desires our best. He gives us the direction because ultimately God commands us to love no matter what. In the midst of our rivalries among ourselves, in the midst of our frustrations we may have, God commands us to love no matter what. Cain plotted to kill Abel, and that's exactly what he did. Even through his frustrations, even though his frustrations had nothing to do with Abel, notice that. There's never a point in which Cain looks at Abel and, and curses him because his offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Even though his frustrations had nothing to do with Abel himself, Cain decided to seek revenge on his brother. To take his anger out on him by killing him. Cain chose to commit this sin against his brother. Hear that? He chose to commit this sin against his brother, even though God just provided that direction that he must rule over the sin that lurks among him. He did so in spite of God's previous clear warning to him. And clearly we know, we understand that God knew that this was about to happen. As he's providing this direction to Cain, it wasn't a shock that Cain then went out and killed Abel. God knew that this was about to happen. Yet the, the amazingness of God is that he gave Cain the opportunity to choose to do what was right. And he even gave him the promise that if he did choose to do what was right, that he would be accepted. If he chose to do what was right, he would be accepted. Even though God had whatever issue he had with Cain's offering, he says, if you choose to do what is right, won't you be accepted? We do the same thing in our various life rivalries every day. 
don't we? As we strive to advance in this kingdom here on earth, our, our minds get focused on, on looking around us and seeing what everybody else has and we don't. That one coworker that gets the promotion, that guy that gets the girl. When that one parent or that one parent posts another perfect Instagram photo of their perfect kids in their perfect house. When that one sibling judges another choice you've made. When that one person even just looks at you sometimes, right? Anybody else? Just me? Okay. They're not in this room, don't worry. But the reality is, is we always, always have something to be irritated about, right? We can always find something to be irritated about. And some of us know people, don't be nudging anybody, but some of us know people that will find something to be irritated about, even if they're not previously irritated about something. Am I right? We always find some sort of irritation and we always point it to somebody else. Rarely is it ourselves. But often in our irritation, we find that it's more about what we don't have than what others do have. We get caught up in envy and in pride and we turn against the easiest target for us, other people. It's the easiest one for us to find. Well, if they would have just done this, or if they just didn't do that, if they would have just said this. Our easiest target is other people around us because other people are difficult. Am I right? People are difficult. I had a previous pastor I served under who he, he would always say, ministry would be easy if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> and I'll admit, I've been in ministry for a few years and I understand. It would be easy if it wasn't for the people. Being a pastor would be a breeze if it wasn't for the people, right, Steve? He said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Maybe it's just me and that other pastor I was talking about. But look at it, anything we do would be easier if one for the people among us. Parenting would be easy if one for the kids. <laughs> Teaching would be easy if one for the students. Waiting tables would be easy if one for the customers. Everything we do in this life is made more difficult because of the people we do it with. But friends, hear this, the people that we are irritated with, they are not our rivals. We are not at rival with each other. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses this in Ephesians 6.2. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. From the very moment that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit to this very day, humanity has been at odds with the forces of wickedness in the spiritual realm. And the enemy's e easiest foothold into our lives has always been to put people at odds with God and at odds with each other. 
That's been his easiest way in. The easiest crack that he can find in our life and our relationships is with God and with other people. And so as God warned Cain, sin is crouching at the door. And the enemy's pursuit is to isolate us from one another. It's to isolate us from God. It's to cause us to look at God's blessing upon other people and make us wonder why them and not us. Why did God bless them in that way and not me? The enemy uses his holding over us to distract us from the greatest command of God's people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 38, Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Isn't it interesting that the single most important command of the Christian life to love God is then followed immediately with loving others? Maybe God didn't know that people were going to be so frustrating. Or maybe he did. Jesus said nothing else matters if these two aren't in order first. This is crucial. In the midst of the rivalries that we find ourselves in life, God commands us to love no matter what. And nobody knows that this is more crucial than the enemy himself. And so he crouches at the door of sin, waiting for us to just crack it open ever so slightly just to see what those people are doing over there. Just to see what they have and what I don't. To compare ourselves to others, to put others down, to gossip, to harbor hatred towards others. He's just waiting for us at that door. Just to push it open ever so slightly. But God gives us the same direction today as he gave to Cain then. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Priest and theologian Henry Nouwen stated this, the tragedy of Christian ministry is that many who are in great need, many who seek an attentive ear, a word of support, a forgiving embrace, a firm hand, a tender smile, or even a stuttering confession of inability to do more, often find their ministers distant men who do not want to burn their fingers. So ministers of the gospel, I'm talking to all of us here. Steve and I may be pastors, but we are all ministers of the gospel if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior because we all have this call and command to the ministry of the gospel, to love the Lord our God and to love others as ourselves. Ministers of the gospel, loving God leads us to loving others. And our prayer in that should always be, Lord, make my hands blister. Don't allow me, Lord, to, to step out here to the side and, and avoid getting burnt in the midst of messy relationships with the people that you've called me to love, even when they drive me crazy. With your help, God, with your guidance, would you get my hands burnt in service to your people, no matter what it might cost me or how I might feel about those people? Let my hands blister. 
Cain was indeed responsible for Abel. We are indeed our brothers and our sisters' keepers. They're not our rivals, the enemy is. They're our mission, our our family. They are the people in which God has put us together in this life to journey along with. Because God knew we would struggle difficult times. He knew there'd be circumstances that we would not feel the fullness of his voice in our lives. And he gave us a family to journey along in that trouble with. We're accountable to each other. Cain's act of sin had terrible consequences, obviously, for Abel, but also terrible consequences for himself and for all others who would follow after him. And the reality is for us today, our sin is destructive to us personally as well. But our sin is also destructive to to those around us because it causes rivalry, it causes pain, it causes competition, it causes evil to exist among us, and it causes division. But just as sin crouches at the door, as we hear God's warning to Cain still today, just as sin crouches at the door, Someone else is there knocking as well. And if we jump from Revelation, or if we jump from Genesis all the way to Revelation, all the way to the end of the book, we hear Jesus say these words in Revelation 3, 19 to 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Just as we have sin crouching at the door for us, waiting for us to to just crack it open, just to see. We have the Messiah standing there knocking, waiting for us to welcome him in. Waiting for us to to allow him to come in and take control for us. Waiting for us to guide us. Waiting for us to allow him to help us in keeping the command that God gives us. Because just as God always does, he doesn't just give us a command and then step away and leave, leave us to see what we'll do with it. God gave us the solution, Jesus. He gave us the solution to all of our problems and he gives us a solution to keep his command to love himself and to love others. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, God knew the troubles that we would face. He knew the the struggle that we would encounter. He knew the difficult people that we would have to live life with. He knew of that coworker that you were going to have to work beside every day. He knew of the of, of the difficulty that you would have to walk with 
in life through, through that, the spouse that, that, that you may not be able to, to reconcile with or see eye to eye. God knew of the, the broken relationships we'd have with our siblings. He knew of the child that would be wayward and, and, and the prayers and the tears that you would cry as their parent. God knew of all of these difficult things that you were going to have to face in this life. And he says, take courage because I've already overcome the world. I've already overcome those struggles. I've already overcome those difficulties because God gave us the solution to all of it. Jesus. And Jesus stands at the door knocking, defeating that sin that lurks among us, allowing us to invite him in. He provided us with the solution before we even had the problems. He provided us for the cure for this broken, messed up world. He gave us the one who would overcome and has overcome and continues to overcome it all. Jesus. And through Jesus, we are called to join in to the family of God. So we're going to prepare now to receive the communion elements. And as we go into this moment of of worship, uh, we, we go into it realizing that life is difficult. Realizing that we are constantly being beckoned by, by sin, by, by, by our shame, by rivalries that exist among us. Realizing that we are constantly confronted with seeing how other people have been blessed by God and wondering when it is we're going to receive a blessing. But friends, take the words that God gives us today. To do what is right. To welcome Jesus in. Because he gives us the promise that we will find acceptance. He he doesn't even take the time to to even give explanation to to the, the circumstances, the difficulties around us. He just says, focus on me. Hear my direction. Hear my voice. Welcome me in. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.